Welcome to the Digital Health Insights Podcast, where NZ Hits CEO Scott Arrell brings you key thought leaders to share their experience, views, and vision on all things digital health and more. Full tech enablement is essential for creating world-class health systems, and Scott's guests discuss how this can be achieved, the challenges that need addressing, the opportunities it creates, and the benefits delivered to health, disability, and social care services in New Zealand and worldwide. Hi there, and thanks for joining us today and listening to the Digital Health Insights. Uh, my name is Scott Arrell. I'm CEO of NZHIT, and if you want to check us out, just go direct to our website on nzhit.nz. It's a privilege for me to have this podcast channel because I get to talk to some of the, some fantastic people, some uh, leaders, thought leaders in the sector, not only here in New Zealand, but overseas. And today's uh, interview is going to be with Samuel Wong, who's the VP or Vice President of Product Innovations at Venza Health, and they're they're a uh, organisation here, a digital health organisation here in New Zealand, uh, doing some fantastic work. And you can check them out on VensaHealth.com. That's uh, V-E-N-S-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com, and uh, they've got a fantastic website, so you can uh, find out more about them there. Samuel Wong, he's got a oh, long uh, background in healthcare in New Zealand. I think it goes back to the early 2000s at least and uh, with a uh, experience with uh, a startup, getting a, you know, that hard yards of getting a, a startup going in the digital health space. He's 15 years at St. John, New Zealand, uh, which is a, a fantastic organisation looking after people um, who find themselves in very vulnerable positions uh, in their health and well-being at any time. So really pleased to have Samuel uh, joining us today to talk about uh, what he's up to. Uh, Sam's also the chair of the Virtual Health Industry Group, which is an NZ Hit interest group. And uh, you can check that out and find out more at nzhit.nz slash interest groups, and you'll get all the information you require then. So uh, without further ado, let's have a, a chat uh, to our good friend, Samuel. Hi, Samuel. Thanks very much for joining us today. Um, now, with COVID, this little virus problem that in New Zealand, uh, you know, we've been having, and, and, I, and I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the playing, of course, because New Zealand sorted it out, haven't they? So, um, but I, but it has it has come at a, a huge amount of effort um, and commitment. So, and I know you've been busy. So, why don't you uh, start off? Tell us a bit about what has been keeping you busy. Uh, over the last few weeks, um, and and also your background, because it's it's um, you know you've had quite a quite a, a journey in getting to the space you're in now, haven't you? Yes, thanks, Scott. Uh, thanks for the intro. And yes, uh, last few months has been extremely busy. Uh, my role as at Vensa, um, but also uh, looking after um, how virtual health is progressing in New Zealand. So I've come from a broad background, twenty plus years in healthcare uh, systems. Um, previously working in uh, the DHB's primary care uh, and ambulance roles, um, looking after telehealth and uh, digital health systems. And I've also had a number of startups working on uh, uh, health medical devices, monitoring and uh, medication adherence. So um, a broad background uh, which brought me into the role at Vensa to look at transforming health products for patient portals. So we've changed quite a lot in recent times around how do we proactively uh, manage uh, patients with symptoms and direct them into appropriate care, either in ambulance or in uh, national telehealth service requirements. Uh, For example, patients who have case definitions, they should be best reviewed by 
the nurses at the, or for the latest definitions rather than perhaps the GPs um, at the wedding room. So uh, how do we uh, proactively manage care ahead of time and also stop delays in care for more appropriate patients? For example, if someone has mild chest pain or their lab results having high troponins, um, they should be heading straight to the emergency department or calling the ambulance as opposed to walking through to the GP and then waiting, spending four hours in delays. So these things could be done proactively. Yeah, and that's actually that's a good lead-in actually you know, because of the massive uh, change that occurred. Um, I think we were about a week to two weeks into lockdown, weren't we, when you know, effectively GPs had to close their doors. We couldn't have any more walk-in patients um, kind of overnight, went to, went to virtual in one way or another, uh, whether that was onto the phones or a video or, or emailing, uh, whatever it was, it was to, to keep um, the care going. But we, you know, we saw such a big shift occur then and along this whole area of uh, the continuum of care in relation to digital and virtual uh, and virtual care. So uh, you've had a lot of experience with that. So why don't you Give us your view on, on what you've seen change, um, what effect that it's having, how can we kind of lock it in? Well, a lot of the changes are actually driven by um, when the college made the decision that 70% of uh, appointments need to be uh, seen through some form of virtual delivery. Um, that's from a learning from uh, how they saw cross-contamination in Italy, um, and GP practices there and uh, massive spikes there. Uh, that actually was a burning platform immediately to a lot of GPs. Uh, a lot of the GPs saw between 50% and 80% of drop in their appointments, but for those who did engage, they actually found the virtual health experience very beneficial. Um, the problem has been once you engage someone, how do you actually match up business models that historically would have been someone paying at the till or at the reception, but they don't have any facilities to collect money from the patient after they've done a virtual consultation and it becomes a, please remind the patient to bank deposit or send something else and they lose a lot of the, uh, of the patients having ability to do that. So uh, that's one area that saw a sudden change and um, the system not currently being able to facilitate it easily. But then in other areas, it's actually, how do you, a lot of GPs were interested in moving to video, but they didn't have the right technology, they didn't have the right hardware, and often they did not have the right, right workflow. So some of the examples came through is uh, you send a link to the patient, the patient clicks on the link, and then the doctor will see another patient at a time, the patient disengaged, and the patient stopped. So uh, the, patient, the, the easiest way for the GP then to contact the patient was pick up the phone, which disrupted the virtual flow. So a lot of the workflow is still a work in progress and how do we actually bridge the patient provider interfacing? Yes, and so and that made a difference to um, uh, the, the health consumer, didn't it? So we, you know, they, there was a lot of concern about people just, just not seeking healthcare uh, particularly during that that period and then that that wave coming later um, do you think that's gonna that's happening or is it going to happen oh definitely um, there's going to be uh, people haven't sought after the care they needed because the usual care and experience that they have for usual care wasn't acceptable to them for example 
sometimes patients were found to be waiting two meters apart outside the waiting room because the waiting room only permitted two people within it when it usually can facilitate 15 people. So you got people lining up in the cold winter weather. Uh, if they've done it one first time, they won't be back for a second time, not until the systems are ready to, to cater for them. And a lot of it is because the existing reminders and technologies were all telling them, hey, your appointment is actually physical when it could be virtual or should be virtual. Yes, yes. And I, I did a, a straw poll, actually. Um, it was a, a very unscientific amongst my, my uh, many Facebook friends. And uh, very early on, so when the doc, doctors had gone virtual and doors had closed, uh, about, a, about a week after, I, I just chuck, chuck a question onto my Facebook page about you know who has experienced virtual in the last uh, week or two. And I had there were 15 replies, actually, and, and who said yes, and we loved it. You know, there was one that it had not quite a good experience, uh, which was really related to cost, uh, and but was also understandable from a GP's perspective. So, uh, so fourteen out of fifteen were just one hundred percent want to keep. You know, I, I, this was great. You know, the the benefits that we talk about in terms of not having to take time off work or you know travel to your GP and sit in a waiting room, all those sort of things, uh, they came up. You know, people even though they're in lockdown, so they couldn't go to the clinic anyway uh, the you know the experience was was very good overall um, and so then that's the question there is the patient the, the consumer wants it you know how can we make sure that it locks in that that the system the health system and, and rather than calling out gps per se this is across the board how how do we lock it in so the health system is offering it well there are actually six main steps to seeking care and that's where the differences of how we deliver care needs to be aligned to those six steps. One is, do we know when the demand for care is required? Do we know what services is required to address that demand? Do we know when to appointment scheduling works for that demand? Do we know when we're connecting the two demand and the schedule for service delivery? When the consultation happens, how does the consultation manage? And then how do you have an outcome of the plan and care after the consultation, so a referral may be required, laboratories are required. So with the uh, waivers that happen throughout the, the period, including e into EPS and the e-order system um, for labs, it actually transformed the ability to deliver actual virtual care in this time, and it's been great for a lot of consumers. But it really comes down to if the technology in any of those stages are broken, then Often it's referring back to the phone call that uh, people may not justify the value versus what they are, they are receiving in care. Sure, I actually talked about technology, and this is a little bit left field. But I was contacted, uh, sort of, I, I guess about four weeks into lockdown, by a crowd in Australia uh, with um, with drones, actually drone technology. And so these are these are not these little things. I bought one at, at, at the local mall a few a year or two ago, and it it was only only you know, very tiny, and when I tried to make it go, it, it flew straight up, hit the ceiling, it came straight back down, hit the floor, and, and fell apart. So I'm certainly not talking about anything that looks like that. But they, you know, they've developed uh, these large drones, put put the uh, you know, put the medications into that. It's pre-programmed. The pharmacist uh, push a button, off it goes, uh, lands where it's supposed to land, uh, and then at my end, so it's sending my, the drugs to me. Then I 
take those up off, off the drone, push a button, it's pre-programmed to go back to where it came from, like a homing pigeon, really. So, um, you know, we're going to see more of that. Uh, you know, their, their inquiry to me was, you know, kind of, was there a demand for this right now, you know, during COVID? And my my, my response was, uh, well, probably not, because, you know, we were, we were all just trying to survive at the moment. Um, but in the future, you know, it's not inconceivable, is it? Oh, absolutely. It's something that bridging the digital and uh, and physical demand for actual treatment and therapies is something that still needs to be worked through. And a lot of it requires key coordination or enablers such as drone and robotic technologies. So robotic technologies around monitoring and having proactive care is going beyond the, the current technology. But if you can coordinate care in a just-in-time arrangement where medicines delivered as and when they need it, as opposed to right now, it's still a pill drop or a, a min you need to go to your nearest pharmacist and wait in line, that part could be reduced in from a, a digital name and enablement perspective. Yes, and we've read that, like, moving away from my very, very um, um, unscientific Facebook poll. Uh, we do know, though, from from proper, you know, full proper research, I call it, um, people are seeking and valuing the convenience. Yeah, convenience. Yes, and and sorry, you go. Yeah. Convenience is definitely a, a major area that, if consumers have the choice and would prefer to do things more conveniently, they would. Uh, digital systems is how it can be enabled because uh, right now care as and when they need it and potentially before they know they need it in the, in the sense of proactive telemonitoring and the future of monitoring solutions is all about predicting when your vital signs and other areas that you may, may consider uh, suspicious in terms of uh, clinical um, problems can be addressed bef before you actually feel symptoms. And how do you get to that point where virtual health can deliver just in time as opposed to disease state care? Mm. And of course, you know, uh, I've had conversations in the sector you know, over many years, actually, where from a, from a health provider perspective, there's a concern uh, or a perception, which leads to a concern that you know, we're talking about robots, we're talking about replacing people. Um, all that sort of thing, but yeah, my yeah, I think you'd be the same. But interested in your thoughts? Yeah, my my feeling is we we don't have enough people in, to deliver healthcare, um, whether it's in New Zealand uh, or globally. Uh, there, there isn't a whole you know big pile of people waiting just for me to turn up at the at the GP clinic. Yeah, you know, at, at the, the health workforce is at full stretch, if not past full stretch. So we're not talking about replacing them because there isn't enough of them. Uh, it's really about how, how um, the use of technology and digital will en enable them. Yep. A lot of it's about augmenting existing workforces where people still need to talk to people. And that's the fundamental truth is we need to enable the soft skills to be enabled for providers to meet the care demands of the future. However, they can't understand necessarily every detail around a complex patient or the background of that patient rather than purely guidelines-based approach, which works for populations, but is not unique care and is not individualized patient consumer care. So how do we get to a point where consumers can have individualized responses facilitated by a person, but the rest of the system can be enabled through technology and, and uh, the likes of AI, the likes of robotics, the likes of uh, predictive analytics, 
um, beyond the, uh, the realms of what we have right now. Those things then can then simplify who needs to be targeted for what type of care while improving self-management and self-engagement for patients who can better manage their own care. Yeah, exactly. And uh, actually, talking about robots, uh, at this point, it's sort of um, when we're talking about devices, so we have sensors, we have watches, we, you know, we might have um, uh, wearables, uh, we swallables, you know, like ingestibles, we can sensors in our homes and all around us to sense how we're going, what our daily living activities are like and all that sort of thing. So we really, you know, hey, if, if we just plug ourselves up, wire ourselves in, we, we won't need any healthcare, will we? It's all sorted. Well, that's really coming down to wellness versus pre and prevention versus the when there is a harm that needs to happen. And I guess in healthcare, it's all about how do we assess when we need to have further care? How do we self-manage when it's in the wellness state and when it's moving towards a disease or potential early cancers? Then how do we get to, to treatment faster and more accurately and more effective is the main one? How do we get to diagnostics to the level where uh, you treat once and it does the job as opposed to you treat over and over again with multiple different hypotheses that doesn't actually manage the end point of curing or improving their health outcomes. We need to get mm. to a point where the diagnostic gives effective treatments and then when we get to that stage, then people could be moving to, more towards the wellness and the uh, well-being stage of, this, uh, of their life. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, actually, one thing you missed out early on when you're talking about the, what you do and have done um, is just because you have got a little bit of spare time, you've taken on the role of chair of the Virtual Health Industry Group, or uh, we call it the VHIG, V-H-I-G for short. And um, yeah, that's a, a group that's been going for nearly two years now. And we work very closely with the telehealth leadership group, have a really good relationship with them. So um, that's exciting to have you on board with that role. Sam, have you got any thoughts with regards to you know, where that's uh, heading and, and, and the you know, the part that we can play in that group to, to assist you know, the sector? Yes. Um, a lot of the areas that I believe we need to uh, move towards is getting industry to work together around how do we advance the understanding of what meets the needs uh, with the consumers, either consumer or the health users of the system. So how do we do that? We need to research. We need to understand how do we effect make effective products. How do we consolidate and understand when things can be interoperable? How do we drive directions instead of uh, purchasers and procurers going and buying something off the shelf internationally and having limited New Zealand support? How can we advance the New Zealand industry in a way that we have solid, tested and clinically relevant products that can be expanded beyond New Zealand, but also manage the New Zealand system effectively? Right. Yeah, great. And for any of the listeners who want to know more about that uh, that group, we've got um, an interest groups uh, section on our website. So just go to nzhit.nz slash interest groups and uh, you will see uh, uh, Sam's lovely photo there and, and a bit of an overview about what the VHIG is. And you'll be able to click on the terms of reference and also the membership list so you can see who's who's involved and uh and I'm sure you won't want to miss out. So if you're a NZHIP member, uh, you, that's uh, open to join. If you're not an NZHIP member, then uh, you can always talk to me about um, joining NZHIP. Uh, and you can contact us actually on nzhit.nz slash contact 
and that'll open up the contact form for you. Just send us a message and uh, we'll get back to you if you've got any inquiries. So, uh, Sam, this has been really interesting. Thank you very much. And, you know, anything else you would just want to add before we finish up? Um, well, thank you for the time. And, yeah, definitely we want to advance uh, virtual health um, delivery in New Zealand, especially after the COVID has been a major burning platform for everyone and everyone realises the benefits that we can gain from having a digital-enabled healthcare. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And uh, actually, you've just reminded me too, because uh, in working with the telehealth leadership group uh, and in association with the telehealth resource centre, um, then and these webinars that that the centre has been putting on um, regularly uh, through lockdown, and now I think they've, there's plans to keep running those. So uh, people just need, if they're interested, if you're interested in any of those webinars um, or events that are occurring, you know, keep an eye on our website and the events events section, and that's just nzhit.nz slash events, and scroll, you'll see a lot of events going on, frankly, uh, but just uh, look for the ones uh, with relation to telehealth, those resource centre uh, webinars have been excellent value, haven't they, Sam? Yes, definitely. Very, a lot of interesting resources and use cases, so good learning from it. Right. Thank you. And so, everybody, thanks for listening. You've been, uh, um, I've been interviewing uh, Samuel Wong and uh, uh, along with lots of other work, uh, he's the chair of the Virtual Health Industry Group and um, is at uh, Venza.com. That's your, the website if they want to contact you, Sam. Yes. And uh, doing some fantastic work and really pleased to have you on board with um, with the work that you are doing. And, and what we're really seeing in the sector is this collaborative approach now, uh, more so than ever. There's always been, and this is one of the special things about New Zealand, and actually uh, it's our secret, so we shouldn't tell anybody, but you know, New Zealanders do tend to, to figure out ways to work together and make good stuff happen. So, hey, thanks, mate. Um, keep up the great work and look forward to uh, talking to you again. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for listening to the Digital Health Insights Podcast with Scott Errol. Make sure to subscribe and join us again for more news, views, and stories from key health and tech leaders. For more information, please head to our website at www.nzhit.nz where you'll find links to resources, news, events, and much more.